Field and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Here we go, 4 o'clock hour. We're here. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Right now we got a 6-1 baseball game going on as Philly in the seventh is on top of the Braves. 6-1 big beginning of the game. Uh, breakout early on. Bryce Harper, Bryson Stott with big moments early on. So we'll see what Philly does here. If Aaron Nola is coming out, looks like he's going to stay in. Zero outs, zero outs, no outs. So far he's got uh, six innings in, five hits, no runs. He's actually coming out. So time for the bullpen in Philly. All right, let's get to it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. You know, we had some lovely, lovely food talk just a couple of minutes ago about the uh, crazy lunch that some financial advisor claimed to have on a news spot where he said he spent $28 for lunch at one of the taco joints. I mean, give me a freaking break, right? Give me a break. That said, I'm not very experimental when I go to fast food places. I will try some different things at home. And one of the great features that UFC has rolled out is Dana White on Fridays. He does a F it Friday, and he's got his own kitchen there with a chef at the UFC headquarters out on uh, the 215. He he popped up a video today, and he was going to try... He's not the cook, so understand, maybe someone recommended this to him. He wanted to try a steak crusted with something different. What's up, everybody? It is Friday here at UFC headquarters, and today we're going to be trying the mac and cheese crusted steak. Cover a steak with Kraft mac and cheese powder, put it in an oil pan and fry it, slice up the steak and finish it with a little more cheese powder. Let me be fair. Let me take one more bite of this. There are way better things you can put on your steak. Then f***ing mac and cheese powder. Loser. Boy, that was painful. We cut that down. Yeah, he tried to cook a steak with mac and cheese, like the the craft, the dust. Yeah. The cheese dust. Put it all over the steak, the hot pan, the oil. And you could see him as he was eating it. He's like, what is this taste? I don't know if I like it. And then you heard him say, let me be fair. Let me give it another shot. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And then at the end, he just said, loser. What a loser. When I first saw this, this is not what I could because you even put there, you, you even put in there for us, please watch the video. It was not what I expected when you first teased me. I was thinking, Steve, and, and I actually, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. Just just the idea of it, mac and cheese crusted steak. I was, I was thinking it was going to be like, okay, you see these videos on Reels or the, you know, on Instagram, whatever, on Facebook, TikTok. They take it and they sear it in the butter and they put the thyme and the garlic, the whole thing. I'm picturing mac and cheese like the nice gooey no. Thanksgiving. And then they took it and, yeah. and, and, he, and, he, and it was right. actually mac and cheese right. and then it was seared on top of it. When I saw this powder, I was like, oh, this is, I, this is not going to turn out good at all. And it didn't. No. It was gross. It was now, horrible. So you just saved the rest of Earth from trying this thing. Next up. Number three. Well, if you eat steak with cheese, mac and cheese dust on it a lot or 3,000 calories for lunch at the Bell, you're going to need some help. Is Arnold, he's still in pretty good shape. 
Sure. Uh, he's such a celebrity, though, and a such legend when it comes to bodybuilding and fitness. Is he actually available for personal service? It appears so. Um, it appears that he has a foundation, uh, and he charges. <laughs> well, first of all, the the foundation it's it's an after school program, after school all stars, right? It's founded by him in 1992, and he was very prominent. Let me just say, like he came and visited out here uh, for some for some things. I was always around youth. I was doing some community writing back then, and, and I met him at Las Vegas uh, at the uh, Cashman Center. And uh, so he does do a lot of things for the youth. But apparently, Steve, he charges. Not too bad. I mean, this is something I could see you you could probably do, you and the SO, one, <laughs> like, like, a, like, a, like a fat camp. Not saying the SO is, but you just called yourself fat a little bit ago. Uh, $150,000 for a personal training session. The money benefits this foundation that he created 30 years ago. Benefits schools and kids around the country. School kids around the country. But, uh, yeah, so you can you can train with the seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilding champ for 150 k I'm guessing he wouldn't charge that if you really asked him for a, a true price. No. It, kind of it, was all done, it was all done for charity. It kind of reminds me of the... Uh, Remember the Michael Jordan camp he would hold? What was it at Bally's? Remember he would do the the camp here in town, and I think it was twenty five k to do a camp with Michael Jordan. I don't know what that what that uh, funded if it lined anything more than his pockets. I'm sure it went towards something. But um, hey, if people want to pay it, people out there paying it, they have you know you have millionaires. Hey, we need some money. We need to write something off. It's going to go towards some. Hey, come on out, so on and so forth. They're, they're going to do it. Now, I I showed uh, I happened to be at the Perfect Gym today when you sent over the rundown, and I I showed it to Jordan. I said, hey, uh, Steve thinks you might be undercharged. Yeah, 100, 150 grand. You got to get somewhere. <laughs> can, between. Can, can we meet somewhere in the middle with what you charge to what you know? And 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 you know, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a seven-time Mister Olympia. Jordan was a two-time champion in Muscle Mania, the all-natural uh, brand. And when you when you hold those titles, you and you become and you open a gym and you become a personal trainer, you you can charge a decent amount. I remember when he first started, and he used to be upset because I told him you cannot go higher than twenty bucks an hour, dude. You just can't. It's just you know, people come in. You got to te- you got to build your brand, build your brand. And one day you'll be able to charge those big bucks. He's he's doing he's doing pretty well for himself. Okay. It's going to cost a pretty penny if you want to work just, out with just him. Not, just not 150K right now. Just not 150K. Not He'll get yet. there. Not He'll yet. get there. Not That's yet. the bar. That's the bar. Next up. Number two. Josh Jacobs has absolutely raised the bar for expectations for his rushing numbers this year. Yeah. I don't know how the rest of the season is going to play out, but, you know, it's funny. In one fantasy football league, I got Josh Jacobs, and a lot of people are like, why? It's not going to be a full-time player. You know, look out for Zamir White. Well, that's not the way it's worked out so far. Josh Jacobs is what? Is he third? In the league, in uh, rushing per game, I think he's at 98 yards per game. Does he have a chance to go from not having his fifth-year option picked up to potentially leading the league in rushing? It could be. I mean, he, he right now he's got 490 yards. He's behind Saquon Barkley and Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's got 593. Chubb's averaging 118.6 per game. Barkley, 108, 106.6. Jacobs, 98. And, of course, now the last two games, 
McDaniels has Josh McDaniels has you know gotten it together and figured out his play calling and, and has evolved him. Now, you know, as much as we have talked about that in saying, well, okay, his play calling and but for the most part, Jacobs has actually done a really good job with the opportunities that he's had. So feed him the ball, perform, feed him the ball more, feed him the ball more. And he, he has had some impressive runs. And he's he's putting in the blue collar work. I will say this: this if there's if there's one person, if not several, that this bye week is going to benefit because of the amount of times that he's run the ball, the hits, you know, you're going to get hit. Uh, it's Josh Jacobs. So this this you know we could see him come out the gates refreshed, rested, because he talked about that's what he talked about coming into training camp was how he worked on his body and his mind. He, he really he wanted his body perfect. And so he wasn't necessarily too concerned or worried about it. Did it bother him? I did a story and asked him, you know, the Hall of Fame game, did that throw him off? And he was like, yeah. When they told me, said, hey, by the way, you're going to be starting the, the Hall of Fame game, I was like, well, okay, I guess it's time to show them. And I asked him, I said, did you feel that it was an audition for them to show them what you were made of or – just in case, show others. He goes, no, I never really thought about it. Looked at it that way. It was just let me go out there and show them what what uh, what what it, what you know. Give them the preview. What do you think his motivation is this year? Is he playing? Like the next contract is on the line because it is. It is, and he told me. I said, I said, he said, I didn't get it. I didn't get it done this time. So I'm going to make sure that the next extension is the right one. Right. And he that, has to. That's, and he said that. I, I have to admire. Josh, because he and and I and I said this to to our cohort uh, Adam Hill, we were talking about like you know, you know after the first couple of weeks in the locker room, you start to say, okay, have we figured out which guys don't want to talk? Who this? Like Adam had his idea of his guys. I'll let him tell that. I I I brought up a couple and I said you know and we all obviously agreed upon one guy who's made it difficult, but the, I said, I brought up Josh. I was like, he kind of, he said, no, he's actually been good. He just got to get him at the right time. He, he'll talk. He's been really good. And then the last two weeks I've needed some stuff. He gave me one real quick before a meeting. And then we had an extensive talk for a story I wrote on him. Number one. Well, not quite on the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's certainly far away from the numbers based on expectations that Josh Jacobs had, Derek Carr's numbers have not been great. Well, the first five games during his career, he the, he's over, over if, you, if you gauge through eight seasons, over the first five games, the lowest he's ever combined to throw is 924. Okay? The highest he's ever combined to throw is, 1641 through the first five games. That 924, there were that was actually through six games. He was inactive for the fifth game of the season. So it was one through four and game six. So his first five games played. The eight-year average, Steve, through five games, 1,287. That's what he averages over five games, the first five games played, his first five games played in his eight years. You know what he's throwing for this season? 1,279. He's eight yards off of his average. So he's not done his absolute best in a, under a new regime in which we've seen some skeptical pl- uh, play calling the first three games of the season. But for the most part, 
he's been on average. Now, is it a little surprising considering who they brought in, the whole talk about having the college roommate, uh, college uh, teammate, the best friend, the guy you worked with, the chemistry should be there. We work together off season all the time. Probably, maybe you'd expect. But when you crunch these numbers, he's on. He's he's basically spot on his average during an eight-year career. He just hasn't met what he did uh, when he threw for 1,600 yards a couple of years back. Well, you know we swear by pro football focus and the numbers there, which grades everything for a quarterback. And right now, Derek Carr is 24th in the league. He's sandwiched between Carson Wentz behind him. Cooper Rush is in front of him. Daniel Jones is in front of him. Your guy with almost no playing time, so short sample size. Kenny Pickett is ahead of him. Oh, my God. Jimmy Garoppolo is ahead of him. Mitch Trubisky, who lost the job, has a higher rating this season than Derek Carr. And not to bang on Carr, but he does have to get back to a higher level if the Raiders are going to get out of this funk and start winning some games. They need him. And he, and he showed some really good signs in the Kansas City game. Uh, some of the deep balls that he threw to Adams were absolutely masterful. So you may swear by him or swear by pro football folks. I don't have a subscription. <laughs> I swear by my website. So And he, and, and he hasn't been outstanding, but ranked yeah. 16th, 87.7 is his rating there. Uh you know, and, and he is behind some guys, but I'm not putting it all on him just yet. Pro Football Focus likes to grade based on performance. Eh. Big Forward Four presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers in both Reno and Las Vegas. 766-1400 is the number. Call from anywhere in Nevada. 766-1400. Fake toss to the end zone. And it is juggled. Did he catch it? No, he did not. Incomplete. Mooney. Like he might have it, does not. He I, got St. Juice covering on the play. Oh, I think he called the it. Like the not is in. a catch short of the goal line. Yeah. There were no balls. Short, the catch, but short of the goal line. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Amazon on the call there with Al Michaels. What a disaster. What a disaster. Bears almost did it, but good tackle on the play, jarring the ball loose and also pushing the receiver out of the end zone. Hard to believe, but Commanders and the Bears are both 2-4. and four. The Raiders are 1-4, and four, now sitting in a bye week. Uh, Q Myers had a chance to catch up with the legend from the Raiders, Tim Brown, and asked uh, Mr. Brown about what he thought of the Raiders' performance on Monday night. You know, you play a game like that, you don't have any turnovers, you run for, you know, 140, 150 yards, whatever it was. Uh, Derek Carr looked pretty good. Your star receiver has a couple touchdowns. That's a game you should win, you know what I mean? So, uh, but, uh, you know, it is Kansas City, and they, <laughs> they're they doing miraculous things right now to win football games. But, um, yeah, so, I, I man, look, I, I, I tried to put something out on Monday night or Tuesday, you know, I think uh, sort of talking about, the year we went to the Super Bowl, we won four straight, and then we lost four straight, and then we came back and won our last eight uh, to go twelve and four, and you know be the top seed in the, in the AFC that year. So, talking again right now with the Hall of Famer Tim Brown here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty, unnecessary roughness. And Coach McDaniel's always says about finishing games and learning how to win. At what point do you figure out how to learn how to win and, and how to finish off games? 
it's a different different age in football going on, man. You know, who who doesn't kick extra points? You know, who goes for two points when you're up seven? You know, mm-hmm. you know. So um, it, it's winning football, but it's winning differently now. You know what I mean? Right. So um, yeah, I, I don't think you know before you let the you let the game play out. Now I think coaches are really trying to take uh, take advantage of the situation or take the game into their own hands. And uh, so that that's a different that's a different style of winning. You know what I mean? Who knows what would happen if we kicked the extra point and does it go into overtime? I, who knows? We we don't know that, right? But uh, I just think that uh, we had a chance to win it. That was the only thing that that, that really mattered. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it, it's a different form of winning. But yeah, I mean, the only way you can do it, brother, you just have to do it. And I know that's a very simplistic answer, mm-hmm. but that is the only way that you can win. Uh, learn how to win these games. You just got to do it. And once you do it, and you and you and you you like it, and you you know you keep coming back uh, week in and week out, uh, winning these close games. I mean, you know, okay, when we get in the close game next week, you know how to you know how to deal with your emotions, and you know how to get the thing done. You saw the frustration from Devontae Adams. You saw him, you know, slam the helmet. You saw what happened with the the cameraman, and you know, I saw you mention something on Twitter about the whole cameraman situation and not being a big deal. But how many times have you been in a situation like that where you know a guy crosses paths immediately after the game, and you're just trying to get out of there. Bro, I can't tell you how many times I bumped into people or, you know, I probably didn't push them with my hands, but if I'm getting off the field and you're in my way, then you're not supposed to be in my way. I mean, I should have the right as a player to get off the field uh, any way I want to get off the field. And and, these, and most reporters know that. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the young man wasn't even looking up. He didn't have his eyes up either, you know. Devontae was looking down, he was looking down. And, um, you know, and when you're in a, when you're in a, a visiting stadium, especially the Chiefs, if somebody comes up to you like that, you're initially thinking they're coming up to say something or to, to do something, man, because that's your mind, your mindset in a hot cell environment, you know? So I just think it was an unfortunate incident, man. I would love to see the NFL get in this, get involved with this, because, man, you know, you could possibly have cameramen jumping in front of players. Not just Raiders, but players around the league. Right. Especially if the cat gets some money out of this deal or something. I just think that would be a shame to see that happen. You know, I didn't even think about it like that. But, yeah, you, you could start to see kind of a trickle-down effect, and that happened more times than not. Again, we got Tim Brown, the Hall of Famer, on the show right now, Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So if you're head coach Josh McDaniels and you're trying to instill a new culture into this locker room, and I know as a, as a long-time Raider as you were, Mr. Raider, you heard that word new culture probably all the time, and you haven't got that success yet you know how does he keep the players together in the locker room well you know the good thing about this team man you know they were coming off an incredible year probably one of the more incredible years definitely in the history of the Raiders franchise for them to go through everything they went through last year and the end of year in the playoffs you know a couple plays away from from you know advancing to the uh, divisional playoffs I mean you you had the right attitude in the team you know what I mean so that shouldn't been much for him to change you know, I think at that point it's it's really you know saddle up the pony with a different saddle with a with a with a with a different saddle, and just keep the thing going. But don't try and change what the pony has been doing, because the pony obviously did some good things to make it to the playoffs after all the uh, frustrating things that they went through uh, last year. So maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe there you know was too much of a change uh, when there didn't need to be that that much of a change, but. You look, I, I got great confidence in, in Josh McDaniels. Yeah, this is a guy who has learned from one of the best that, to ever do it. And um, he's trying to find his own niche for sure. 
but at the same time, you know, he has it inside of him because, you know, you don't get raised by great parents and 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 be a be a dummy. You you may do dumb things, but it's inside of you <laughs> because yeah, it's been put inside to you, and he, he just got to bring it out. Again, we're talking with Tim Brown here on Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. Just got a couple more questions for you. One guy who's been doing really well, especially the last two games, is running back Josh Jacobs, and really allowed everyone to know that the identity of the Raiders runs through the the running game and Josh Jacobs. What have you seen from him the past couple games? Man, I tell you, it's been great to see. I mean, this is probably as good of a year that uh, he's gotten off to than than maybe you know his rookie year. I, I, I haven't looked at the numbers or whatever, but just watching him play and um, I mean, he looks very healthy. I mean, he's bouncing up, and he, you know, even when he lays there for for a minute, he bounces up, goes out, comes right back, <laughs> and he's running that rock, man. It, it's really impressive to see. Um, you know, it's amazing what a brother do with his contract year. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> it's amazing. He probably go to bed at nine o'clock every night, uh, drinking his milk in the morning, and uh, and getting that thing done, man. But you know, he's really helping himself for sure, man. I think um, uh, you know, watching him run versus uh, KC Monday night was super impressive. It really was, and and you could tell that, like you said, he's running with a purpose, so uh, I, I really enjoy watching what Josh Jacobs is able to do, and you know, you look at the schedule, and obviously the Texans are up next week seven, it's at Allegiant Stadium, but everyone's talking about, well, you know, the, the schedule is a, is a lot easier right now, there's four or five wins, and you know, I know you even talked about, hey, I think that they can go on a nice run. How does the team, how do the players in that locker room, and even the coaches, just keep them focused at one game at a time? Yeah, you know, again, I, I think because you have you know, a, a, a great leader in Derek Carr and, um, you know, uh, Matt Max is, is certainly a guy who I, I look at as being a leader on the team and uh, Chandler coming from where he came from and his years in the league uh, should be able to uh, impress upon everybody also, man, look, all we have to do is look at the film. Yeah, there, there, there are things to correct without a doubt, but at the same time, if we keep playing with this effort, you know, uh, you know, things are going to go well for us. And, you know, this this time of the year, man, when the weather starts to change, man, attitudes about football starts to change, too. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you have teams that are out of it, you know, they'll they'll play like they're out of it. And, you know, at one and four, you know, the Raiders could beat that team, but I just don't believe that um, the guys in the locker room is going to let that happen. Uh, they got too much to play for, and um, – and, you know, again, they were in a similar situation, maybe not this far under under 500, but they've been here before, man. They can make this thing happen. They just got to keep, keep playing, man, and keep practicing hard, doing all that stuff, but just make it happen on the field. You know, one guy that I root for is is Coach Marcus Freeman. I, I liked his uh, his rise to where he's at right now, you know, from Cincinnati as a defensive coordinator, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. Now he's the head man. Now, what have you thought about Marcus Freeman? Have you had a chance to talk to him? Oh, yeah. I talk to him, uh, you know, I wouldn't say all the time, but when I'm up there, I'll try and uh, grab a couple of minutes with him just to, you know, encourage him and keep him going, man, because that's, that's the name of the game. You know, I, I tell him all the time what you're trying to do could possibly change college football, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, because of the way you're doing it. So uh, so just keep keep fighting, keep, keep, keep the thing going, man. You know, hey, you know, we had a big setback versus Marshall, but, you know, things like that happen sometimes, yeah. but... Uh, you know, they've been playing great football, man. So if they can run the table here, you know, it'd be an incredible year for us. Tim Brown with Q Myers over on Raider Nation Radio 920. Will Ramirez, Cofield, ESPN Las Vegas, ESPN Reno's. We're live at Treasure Island. 
Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Tim Brown talking Notre Dame at the end there. And Raiders. What do you think is going to happen with the Raiders? Actually, you know, let me redirect this for a second. Because something just came down a couple minutes ago. Is Devontae Adams, because Tim Brown talked about Adams on the sidelines, is Adams going to get suspended by the NFL? I sure hope not. Um, it's it's tough to say because I you don't I I'm not sure if the NFL I believe the NFL is walking on eggshells right now because anything that they do discipline wise when it comes to suspensions is sort of dictating the pace the tone the setting precedent is to how what they're going to do with Deshaun Watson at some point. Uh, you realize that just hours ago it came out that Darnell Green, a Las Vegas local, I guess going the same path as the accusers with Deshaun Watson, decided to file a lawsuit against Alvin Kamara for the beatdown over at Dre's. Kamara involved, Kamara not involved. I don't know. Green's shoulder, neck, and, and back were injured. He also had his orbital lobe broken, hmm. suing for $10 million. Wouldn't that be rich as the Camara news comes out that he's being sued and Tim Brown gets a game suspension, say, or a big fine? Devontae for, Adams. Yeah, sorry, Tim Brown. No, Tim Brown's he, not going to get retired. it. He's retired. Yeah. Devontae <laughs> Adams gets a suspension. How The optics of that, my Lord, that would look absolutely awful. It's Nevada Sports Talk Hour with Cofield and Company on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. I'm saying Air Force is next. You loss. Notre Dame. No trust. Loss. Hey, hedge a little bit. Willie's in a fragile state. I mean, where's your compassion, Peter? Okay, Willie. Positivity. You finished the season with Hawaii and Nevada. I'm good with it. The last game of the season. The last game of the season. You become my friend. Bowl eligible. You go. Book your tickets. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Well, that was awkward. I have no idea what that was. What is that? That was awesome. What is that? Every Sunday morning, while I'm up writing some sports betting stuff, I listen to Katie George. I am. Who is Katie George? Host, co-host on ESPN for Sunday mornings. Okay. So they do a, they do a bit, and she breaks into this English accent. And Dr. George, and you can call in with your questions, almost wow. like you're calling a counselor. Nice. And I know how much you dislike hosts calling, but this is a national show. And they were going over college football, and I was like, you know what? Let's get UNLV. Let's get them some, some chatter. Let's just, let's just get okay. them. So I, I, I was driving, and I can't remember where I was driving to. But I was driving, and I, uh, I got through. They're like, oh man, we just got done with that uh, that bit, They're, and I was like, okay. They said, well, what did you? I said, no big deal. They said, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I was going to talk about UNLV Rebels. They started out four and one. They get thumped a couple of nights ago. We've been going through a lot of pain here for decades. Us, you know, lifelong residents. Who's going to ask her about UNLV football? And he started laughing. He goes, let me see if they want to do it. so. They come back from the segment and. We're basically just saying that, you know, it's kind of cool when people buy into the whole, you know, they sort of play into the whole, you know, bit. And she was talking about her parents. 
And uh, they said, well, we have one more. We have one more on the line. And that's when they came out to me. And so I, 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 I played it up. I, I had to get them on there. And that's what she responded. I said, just what I said to you, said, you know, we haven't seen much success here with UNLV. What are we going? What what can we possibly expect? And that's what she responded with. Wow, would have been nice if you did that for the pack, for the Wolf Pack. They're two and four right now. They've got some winnable games down the stretch. Maybe the battle for the cannon could be the battle for six win of the season for one team or the other. Rest of the way for the pack at Hawaii. Got to get it going this weekend. San Diego State kind of quarterback list, unless the safety you just switched over is good at San Jose State. Boise, Fresno, and then the Cannon game. Uh, can I ask you a question here? Though, of course. You can always ask a question. You don't have to preface it by saying, little, can little, I ask you a question? A little audible. It's your show. It's one of your fa- <laughs> That's one of your favorite things that I do when I say, I'm going to ask you. There was a lot in that whole thing. There was a lot in that whole thing. You know you know the forbidden word on the show. I get it. it drives me freaking nuts. I hate sports radio people. Talking about segments because I, I think yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. just killing the show yeah, yeah. by going yeah you know it's a and, small but, it's a small but did thing. you notice how many times I caught myself and changed it to bit yes be- that was good because of you yeah uh, I'm watching this Phillies game they're going crazy here it's now nine to one but I'm watching the fanatic does Philadelphia as a whole do they own the market on the best mascots well gritty's a, a late entry and gritty basically is. I mean, you can tell it's from the Fanatic family, right? But you got it's the Philly, same look. So you got Philly the Fanatic. Yep. You got Gritty in the NHL. You got Swoop, the Eagle, right? That's like a cool like. I didn't know like Swoop. Tough, Is that right? Okay. Well, the tough Eagle. Right? I, I, I know. I've seen it. I didn't know yeah. the name was Swoop. And then Franklin the Dog. I was just doing some reading. It's Franklin the Dog. That's for the 76ers. Oh, really? Yeah. Twenty twenty, it won like some leadership like community type award. I think Philly may have cornered the market like on for the four majors. Well, Grady's taking it to a new level. It's such a yes, good idea. Yes, yes. Such a because the fanatic has always been a giant pain in the ass, thorn on the side, <laughs> and Grady's just ten times what the fanatic ever was. As we all know, of course, the West Coast is the best coast, and the all-time greatest mascot ever yep. is the San Diego Chicken. Where are you, Chicken? Where are you? It's Cofield and Company, Battleborn Sports Hour, presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Call from anywhere in Nevada: seven six six fourteen hundred. Snap back clean. The kick is up. That kick is good. Drones running. Drones down. And there's no time on the clock. The ball game is over. They got him. It's over. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. College football highlight there. Let's bring in Max Brown. That was the uh, West Virginia victory over Baylor. Everyone in the country, I think, is 3-3. Three and three. Max played at Pitt and at USC. He's on Cal, Colorado this week, helping us break down a little college football, talk about some of the coaching openings. Max, how you doing? It's Steve and Willie here in Vegas. What's up, guys? You guys live in uh, Treasure Island? I need to get over there. We are live in Treasure Island in their uh, sports bar, so uh, good times on a Friday. This is a good Friday football frenzy spot. Um I want to get into I Cal. Got, Col- yeah, good, good. Uh, I got married back in August and had my uh, my bachelor party in Vegas. I made a few uh, Treasure Island trips a few months back. Ah, there you go. Very nice. Who doesn't love Vegas, right? Very nice. There we go. So let's get into uh, before we get into a couple of games here and a lot of West Coast stuff. I just want to get your take on what's going on around college football with the quick hooks, with the coaches, 
Uh, Wisconsin, I thought, was crazy. We know Colorado now needs a new coach. ASU needs a new coach. And there's all different circumstances, but some of them seem pretty quick to me. Yeah, it definitely seems quick. I mean, I, uh, I experienced coaching changes when I played in the 2013 to 2017 window, and that's not that long ago, yet it, uh, you know, obviously the timetable of those type of decisions have sped up, and it's, it's entirely because of just the whole recruiting cycle has pushed up two months, so you need to start having direction, call it December 1st. You can't wait around to have that be January 1st, so... Uh, you know, people are making that decision a couple months ahead. It, it's funny when you pair it, uh, pair the Colorado situation in the lens of the Wisconsin situation because Wisconsin basically saying, hey, we're not comfortable just winning nine games a year. We feel like we can be better nine, ten games a year. Colorado went through a, a similar iteration, call it two decades ago, and look what's happened for the Buffs since then. So definitely be careful for Wisconsin fans. The grass isn't always greener on the other side, but uh, I think all three of those jobs have their own intrigue and own attraction. I'm sure there's going to be a good pool of candidates that are interested in all three. When you go into a situation like this, and, and let's say that it's, a, it's somebody who you already know that that person's sort of on the hot seat, They've had a year or two under their belt. And now you're a third of the way through the season, and and the higher-ups, you make that decision to pull the hook. I get it, but at the same token, you know going in is on the hot seat, and and yet do you have the student-athletes that are actually there? I get the recruiting part of it, but, you know, these guys that are there that are playing, and it's only a third of the way through the season, how does that play on their mental game in terms of, you know, well – we got to start over, and we're a third of the way in. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously, there's a huge emotional weight, and uh, I really think all three of those scenarios are, are, are much different. I mean, with the Colorado scenario, um, you know, you had the timing with the bye week, which was, uh, you know, favorable for them, and it felt like ever since Carl Durrell was hired, he was a bit behind the eight ball, and just the energy around the program was at a level where you just absolutely pretty much had to make a change, and Mike Sanford's done a good job the past week instilling that uh, that new energy. With ASU, I think a lot of ASU fans were frustrated that, that this decision was not made back in February, but the, decision, the reason the decision was not made back in February was for the same reason that... Uh, you know, that Colorado found its struggles and that if you make that decision in February, maybe you don't get to pick the full candidate pool. And as a result, you uh, you find yourself right back at square one two years later. So I think there's some correlation there. And then the Wisconsin, the Wisconsin one's interesting. I don't follow the Big Ten as closely as I do the Pac-12, but I do know that the Big Ten or the Wisconsin schedule gets a lot easier after they fired Chris. And so if you know from an optics standpoint that, hey, we're two and three right now, and there's certainly a scenario where Chris rattles off a five and one ending or a four and two ending, and that's and then at that point you have an eight win team or a nine win team, and on paper that's not a bad season, but deep down you know that's not necessarily that the highest quality season. It's a lot harder to make a decision then. I'd be very intrigued if that played a factor in the, the athletic the athletic director's decision to cut ties early to not let any sort of rebound in some capacity happen later down the road. Is Colorado a good job? I do. I'm sitting here in Boulder as we speak right now, and I'm sitting here saying, man, you can recruit kids here. I, I, I'm aware of the hurdles that, uh, you know, um, that, that Colorado has in terms of some of the investment from, uh, from the higher-ups and whatnot. But that being said, I mean, you can recruit here. I've been on a lot of college campuses that have had a lot better 
you know, past decades in Colorado, yet they do not have the resources to get guys here. I think someone's got to come in here, bring the energy. You've got a market folder. You've got a market CU. And you got to take advantage of the fact that they're uniquely positioned between California and Texas in a conference that um, has no other Texas ties. I know that's a tall task. I know no one's done it in the past, you know, 15 years or so, but uh, I think it can be done for the right guy. Is Arizona State a good job with Ray Anderson as the AD? I think so as well. I think the whole narrative of, uh, I mean, especially out west, you always say sleeping giant, sleeping giant. Um, I really do think that's a good job. Uh, I know Ray Anderson's well-respected. I think, you know, in hindsight, her maybe wasn't the best, uh, best decision there, but I still think it's a great job, and I'm very intrigued to see the ripple effect of the L.A. schools leaving. How does that impact a CU recruiting, or especially an ASU recruiting? Because ASU's, their recruiting strategy for the past 20 years was, hey, we got to get the next batch of guys that USC does not get. How does the movement to the Big Ten change that, if at all? Maybe more wins to go around in the uh, in the Pac-12. But, no, that's a great job. They call it a sleeping giant for a reason. In the Mountain West Conference, you've got San Jose State doing well. They could win, say, 10 games. UNLV could have a big turnaround, win seven games. The coaches are Brent Brennan and Marcus Arroyo. If you were one of those guys, would you look at ASU or Colorado? Without a doubt. I spent a lot of time around Marcus Arroyo last year. I, I called uh, – a couple UNLV games, and uh, it's cool to see where UNLV's at in year three because I had him early on in the season last year when uh, you hadn't seen the tide turn, but he's obviously done some good things. And for a guy like him, man, he's been at Oregon. He's been at Cal. I mean, ASU falls. I mean, he, he's familiar with what it takes to, uh, to get that job done. Um, I would not be surprised if he has his eye on that, uh, on that Sun Devil gig. Let me ask you this, Max, because uh, I, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with, with Marcus. W- at what point in, in, your, in a coach's career do you weigh staying somewhere to, to build a program that you, that you get things going, you, you, hit, you hit the turnaround, plus you have a young wife with a young daughter, and you sort of want to build your family in that community or – you know, and, and, and sort of grow your, your your booster, your background, which brings more revenue, or just abandon that and keep going to the bigger money to a, a different program. Like, I mean, at some point, do you weigh and say, well, I want to raise my family here? I think it's a great question, and I think that's got to be front of mind for both athletic directors at Colorado and ASU in terms of you can't hire a guy that's viewing that job as a stepping stone. You saw that with Mel Tucker at Colorado and that, hey, that was a good hire, right? I mean, I guess you might have something to say right now with Michigan State, but obviously he got a payday later on, and so you would have to think in a, in a self-scout, so to speak, of, hey, you were targeting the right type of guy, yet he was viewing Colorado as a stepping stone job. Obviously money speaks to a certain extent, but you've got to go get a guy for both those programs that believes in that vision long-term, more than just a couple seasons to then get the next big job. Um, but to answer your direct question, I think that's always fun of mine for coaches. Uh, I'm sure, you know, the psychology of it is Marcus Arroyo, man, he recruited me back when I was a freshman in high school and he was at Cal and he was probably early 20s, so to speak. And it probably goes in phases in terms of where he wants to be, what his dream jobs are. But for a guy like that, and I don't know him that well, but I would imagine that those West Coast jobs, the idea of building, building and raising a family in a Tempe or in a Boulder, 
that's got to be attractive, similar to the attraction in, in Vegas that he has right now. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. That nets out differently with every single guy. I think you can point to examples like Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State that continues to stay there. I think you can point to all, all sorts of different examples in terms of how, how, how coaches weigh that factor, and it differs from guy to guy at, at each stage of their career. Max Brown is with us, college football analyst, played quarterback at Pitt and at USC's on the Cal Colorado game. We'll close out with that here in a second. Best team in the Pac-12 at the end is going to be USC, UCLA, or Oregon? It's going to be USC. I really think that. Okay. And uh, I have not thrown out the, yeah, call me a homer, but uh, <laughs> I swear I haven't been saying that for uh, the past few years. I'm, uh, I think it's legit, and the reason why is I think USC can beat you in – or I guess I'll flip the other way. They do not have to beat you in one specific way versus I think UCLA and Oregon. And I still I still haven't lost faith on, on Utah. I've fallen into that trap before of writing the Utes out and then you're writing the Utes off and then you blink and it's November and they're right in the thick of things. So it's a season-defining game for Utah this weekend against, uh, against SC. But back to my original point, USC has proven that they can beat you in different ways. They, don't, they do not have to have... Caleb Williams go out and be Superman to win. Their defense, to me, is one of the most surprising units out west of, of any group. Um, and that's not to say they still do have Caleb Williams, and they still have the Blitnikoff Award winner. So I have faith in the Trojans, uh, and they have uh, some wiggle room there, obviously still being undefeated. DTR or Caleb? I'm taking Caleb. I know it uh, might be a homer take, but uh, no, DTR does deserve a lot of a lot of credit. I think it's a lazy take when you listen to national radio when people say, "Oh, if DTR can just protect the football and stay within this scheme and that and whatnot, he's been protecting the football." We all have it in our ingrained in our mind that you know he's he's young DTR and some of the goofy turnovers that we saw on Sports Center and whatnot. He hasn't done that for over a calendar year. He's playing at a high level. He's a stud, uh, but in terms of just who is the better quarterback, I think it's uh, I think it's Caleb Williams. Um, but both guys are special. Pretty amazing how that worked out. Chip Kelly was ready to replace Dorian Thompson Robinson, and uh, I don't know if he got screwed over or whatever by by Dylan Gabriel, but he wound up with DTR, and he's had a hell of a season so far. Last minute here. Does Cal have a chance to make a run? I got to see him up close doing sidelines for UNLV, and I thought they were good, not great. What do you think about Cal the rest of the way? I think that's what it is. Good, good, not great. Uh, I think Cal is the perfect example for how much stronger the Pac-12 is. I mean, Cal, let's be honest, Cal's a definitely a bottom half of the conference team, and you, I, I'm sure most people probably put them as a bottom third team, yet they're not a bad football team. And I think in years past, you, that bottom third of the conference is, is probably some teams that are struggling. That's not the case. Cal's going to compete in every single game that they're in, um, they're going to sneak up onto people, but I don't know if they have the firepower in the trenches over the course of the season. I mean, they their D line has been decimated by injuries. The offense line still finding their way a little bit. So a team that keeps you honest, um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how things sort out the rest of the season. Max, we appreciate a couple minutes on short notice. Thank you so much. Awesome, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. There he is, Max Brown, emerging star, only 27 years old. Big-time recruit. We had talked about Harrison Bailey before the season about, you know, that level recruit being recruited when you're a freshman and sophomore in high school. And uh, Max Brown went from uh, USC to Pitt, and now he's uh, starting up his career as a broadcaster in the West. 
Excellent spot there. Excellent spot there. All right, 5 o'clock hours on the way. We're hanging out at Treasure Island in the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Come on down here. Willie's back tomorrow with his morning show, Throw the Flag. You can hear that on lvsportsnetwork.com, and they've got breakfast starting up at 9 in the morning. That'll do it in Reno. You've been listening on uh, ESPN Reno to the Battleborn Sports Hour. We're going to go into the 5 o'clock hour here down in Vegas for all three hours every day. You can find the archives daily at lvsportsnetwork.com.